fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Now, today, interviewing, I'm quizzing the man himself, who's normally on Tuesdays, but this time he's got a new book that's come out called Dr. Francis Tumblety and the Railway Ripper. So, Mr. Michael Al Hawley. Hello, Al. How are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm doing okay. You've got this new book out, and of course, you're kind of centering it around you call the Railway Ripper. Yes, yes. But he is a suspect in the Jack the Ripper murders as well. Correct. For you, for sure. Now, let's talk about this. First of all, why did you go back into Tumblety and... What what more were you looking for? Well, one of the questions, one one of the the first couple chapters I use is actually just to get the reader to know how he's connected to the the Whitechapel murders when he was uh, arrested on suspicion, and then of course when they uh, they nobody saw the murder, so they couldn't arrest him uh, or charge him for the murder, so they arrested him on a a misdemeanor case, and he posted bail and he sneaked out of the country, and the murder stopped. So when he came back to America. They followed him, and they did an investigation while he was in America. Well, the the issue was, is was that really true? Because a lot of the experts were trying to think maybe it was a little bit fake news. So I really basically put that to bed, as in my first two chapters show that not only did they follow him, they continued an investigation, which meant that he was one of the top suspects, if, if not the prime suspect at the peak of the murders. Well, then a, a question that I always get when I would be doing my lectures is, if he truly was a serial killer, did he, when he came back to America, were there any murders? And so what I did was is I decided to search. And so what happened is as I was searching, not only did I find uh, murders, I found actually 39 unsolved murders where I cannot eliminate Tumblety as being the suspect. I had set it up to be pretty easy because here's Tumblety. He was, he was actually what they used to call a hermaphrodite. He basically had no uh, functioning penis. And so what happened was is most women, young women, sadly, who were murdered on the streets, and it did not have to be streetwalkers, uh, sex workers, but it's just on the streets, they were first raped, then murdered. So they called it outrage at the time. And I saw that quite a bit. But what I discovered was that around 1880, I started seeing these what they called mysterious murders in America, that the, the woman was neither raped nor robbed. So at that time, there was no FBI, but it was just the local detectives, and they called it motiveless murders because of those usual motives. And so they really didn't know about serial killers at, uh, at the time. So it wasn't only just 39 unsolved murders. There were 39 attempted murders or assaults that I found that, again, I cannot eliminate Tumbley because of where Tumbley was. The nice thing about the unsolved, the, the assaults, is they're generally a, uh, an eyewitness description. And so Tumbley was unusually tall at the time. He was six feet tall. When he came back to America, when he sneaked out of London, it was reported that he was wearing an Ulster coat. And time and time again, I get this tall man in a gray Ulster coat with a thick mustache. And so that's kind of what happened. And then the details of it are even more surprising. Before we get into this, the details and all this stuff like this, for the people that don't know who he is, who was Dr. Francis Tumblety? As in, you know, where where was he basically born? He grew up, and what did he do as a job? Was he a real doctor? Kind of go through a 
basic description of his of his life besides the murders. Okay, he was he's he was he was a quack doctor. So uh, he was born actually in County Meath, Ireland, and I just discovered that. And eight and what happened in 1830. And by 1847, he and part of his family came to America on a famine ship. So it was during the potato famine, especially the year 1847, where the spring and the fall crops, potato crops, went under. So that ship, they came over, and at the time, the northeast of the United States was experiencing a boon in the economy thanks to the Erie Canal, which is pretty much centered in Rochester, New York. And some of... Tumbledy's family members were already in Rochester. He was one of 11. So when he came to America, he was around 17 years old, plus or minus there. But uh, when he came to America, that within nine years, he became actually a what we call an, uh, an Indian herb doctor. In Rochester, he, he got caught up with a couple quack doctors, one an Indian herb doctor, and by 1856, Tumbley was on his own. He crossed the border into what they called Canada West at the time, but it was Ontario. But And incidentally, it was London, Ontario, where he started. Within three years, he became a millionaire. He was so good at exploiting. And that's what I found out was how he exploited these people. He was really good, as in what he would do was someone would come into his office. First, he would advertise like crazy, saying that he could cure all, everything, cure cancer, cure tuberculosis, cure everything. So when they'd come in, one here's an example. One young man said, came in cause he, because he had uh, uh, acne and he wanted that cured. So when he came in the door, Tumbley would say, oh, my gosh, you're a goner. You have tuberculosis. Good news for you. I have these pills, and then within two weeks, you're going to be cured. Come back in two weeks. And it was you know, an exorbitant amount of money. Came back, and he was cured. And he convinced these people so much that he had testimonial after testimonial in the newspapers. But it was a scam, and that's what I found in some court records in, in, in Toronto. But within three years, he became a millionaire by doing that. Uh, but at the same time, he was getting himself into trouble because he was molesting young boys all through his life. And then he was, uh, the treatment towards women was, was, uh, poor right at the very beginning. Even the, the mayor, even the mayor of, uh, on, of London, Ontario fined him some money because of his, uh, poor treatment of, uh, one of the, the, his female customers. So that was 1856. And then it came from, uh, continued. But uh, so he went through Canada, and he would get himself into trouble, continue, but he would still make a lot of money as this quack doctor. Uh, what happened was when he got to St. John, one of his patients, customers, actually died. And so they had a coroner's inquest, and what happened is at that inquest, they had to do a, an autopsy on the, the guy to see if it was his drugs that killed him. And Tumbley actually tried to steal the man's organs at the examination room the night of the inquest. So through Canada, he had this passion for organs. When he was going to be charged with manslaughter or uh, the coroner's inquest recommended that, he sneaked out of the country, came back to America, and that's when the Civil War began. And at the beginning of the Civil War, someone uh, he sneaked, he came to Washington, D.C., to claim he was a surgeon, he wanted. To, he was claiming to uh, that he was going to be a surgeon for General McClellan, but he had no medical diploma. He had a fake one, but he, um, but he tried. He his idea was if he could uh, have the army consider him a surgeon, that was his credentials. And so he did this. Uh, at, in the evening, he 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 uh, had all of the. Uh, invited all the officers, the eyes and ears of General McClellan, to come, and he did a illustrated medical lecture, and he showed all of his organs, all the organs that he had collected, especially his uterus collection. He and uh, this this uh, eyewitness said that his favorite part of his collection is the was the uterus, and of course Jack the Ripper took the uterus out of two women, and it begins from there. But then he continued to get him to himself in trouble. But by 1873, he started visiting London or England. Uh, each year until 1888 of the, the murders. And so that's why he, he admitted he, himself that he was at the Whitechapel district when the murders occurred. So what was his um, hatred toward 
females and women? Was there a particular reason? Was it his mother? Was it his sister? Like, where where do you think that comes from? Well, now he claimed it was with that when I witnessed that it was because his wife. He found out his wife was a prostitute, but I found out that that was actually fake. He was that was his his front to tell why he was not married or anything. And what happened is under sworn testimony, his his nephew, only five years years his junior, said that Tumbley was never married. He he always had a passion for young men. But what happened was is in his writings, what uh, came out was he actually he was very religious. And he was Catholic, and back then, many Catholics, this is not doctrine, but many Catholics believed that it was not Adam that committed the original sin. It was Eve deceiving Adam. Therefore, women were the curse of the land, and disease came from the original sin. So the disease, including his condition as an intersex condition, having both male and female parts, that he would believe that it was women that did that. So he hated women from the outset. And you could see it was in the family because there's a report that one of his brothers had the same hatred of women. And then when you look at the census material, the three brothers were considered literate, but all the sisters were considered illiterate. So even the family members, only the, the boys could go to school. So, But what happened was is that then I found out that by 1880, he found out he had syphilis. He was hypersexual, so he was the perfect target group to to catch syphilis and so he caught syphilis and of course he blamed these women by and then i found out by the year the the ripper murders were 1888 by around 1886 he started hanging out with a neurosurgeon who was who was an expert at paresis or paralysis of the insane which we now call neurosyphilis which is a tertiary stage of syphilis Tumbledy, he was a, a narcissist, so he had six autobiographies. In the autobiographies, he talked about this. So he, so he, is ba- he was basically admitting that he actually contracted neurosyphilis a couple of years before the murder, so his mind was kind of going. So what I was looking for, for if, uh, when, if Tumbledy was indeed a serial killer and if he came back to America and was murdering women, what was that trigger point? Uh, with We know serial offenders, there's a trigger point. Even though they may have lacked remorse all their life, but something happened where they began to kill. And then they decide, realized that they actually liked this. And so in the 1870s, I'd find very few of these mysterious murders. But 1880, I find that began. And the coolest thing was, here's Tumbley, a quack doctor. He considered his home as New York City. And he had actually got himself in trouble because someone had come to him for an abortion uh, when he was in Canada. But what happened was, is in 1881, this Ella Clark came to came from Connecticut back to uh, the Manhattan to get an abortion. So he went. She went to this quack doctor, a different quack doctor, to ask for this abortion, and he, she wanted it private. So she she stayed with a friend. She was a young lady. And so then the, the, the young lady said the next day, Ella Clark said, I'm going back to the, you know, to get my abortion. Well, she never came back. And they found her body. She was dismembered across the river in Long Island. But her head was with her. I mean, she, her head, her, all their parts except her organs. The, the police, because her head was there, they could identify her. And they realized that talking to the friend, they realized that she went to this quack doctor that was on Manhattan. Well, he had a solid alibi. He wasn't even in town. Well, surprise, surprise, just a few months before that, we know that Tumbley had his quack doctor office just a few blocks south. His office is actually closer to that friend's apartment or uh, residence than the other quack doctor. And so here it is. This woman was searching for a quack doctor. And next thing you know, she's missing. Not only missing, her her organs are missing, but she was dismembered. How coincidental that we have this quack doctor, Francis Tumbley, in the same area. What the police thought was that they thought it was a quack doctor that killed her, but they thought it was a, you know, she went there for, uh, again, to uh, an abortion, that it was an abortion going awry, so the, the quack doctor freaked out, so tried to hide the body. But if you did that, not that I'm a serial killer or anything or someone that kills, but you don't leave the head with the body. The head is the only thing at the time to identify the woman. So if it was 
a just a quack doctor a mistake in abortion, then they would have you would have put the head somewhere else. Her body was next to the railroad tracks, and this is the other thing that I'd seen was starting in 1880. These women were uh, were found in a very similar, very Ripper-like murders near railroad tracks and railroad stations, and it and uh, continues till about 1900. Very surprising ones. In the uh, but so again, if you think about it, if there was no FBI at the time, so if a murder occurred, uh, if a serial killer was on the train tracks, got off the train station, murdered a woman, got back on the train and left. They would have never caught him because those locals were thinking that it was probably a farmhand that was the killer or an ex-boyfriend. And then this person's long gone. And so not only would they be long gone, kind of like the Golden State Killer, that it would have been decades long while this person was doing it. And that's what I had found in the 1880s to the 1890s, through the 1890s, this, this pattern, one of the patterns. So that's why my book is called... Dr. Francis Tumbling a Railway Ripper, because I'm convinced that I've found a 19th century serial killer that was taking advantage of the railways. Incidentally, I found a top jacked ripper suspect that I can't eliminate from each and every one of those. What was his MO in this particular case, you know, with these railway ripper murders? What, what, was, what was his goal with each of these, do you think? I think it's uh, one is. Uh, if you look at the Whitechapel murders, and that's one place where we can find this, that the first uh, of the victims, you could see that they were choked against the first, uh, strangled. So it could have been Jack the Strangler, actually. And so when what happened was is um, uh, Dr. Brent Turvey, when he looked at the Whitechapel victims or the records, he did not see the normal sadosexual serial killer as in, let's say, a John Wayne Gacy, where he is sadistically kind of killing or reviving, killing, reviving, you know, um, these young men before he kills them, and it's part of the sexual uh, attraction. This would be a different case, and he did not see the sadosexual in the, the Whitechapel murders. What he saw was anger, retaliatory rage. So you saw, let's say, attack the face, Catherine Eddowes, attack the face, and then also... Uh, a reassurance oriented so there's display going on and then so that's what he uh, he saw and, and so Tumbledee because he preferred young men if it was if Jack the Ripper was a sadosexual serial killer Tumbledee would not be your man because he would have gone after young men and but again because Dr. Brent Turvey sees this in and and Dr. William Eckert had uh, shown that there was no sadistic behavior whatsoever these uh, women were murdered or mutilated post-mortem. This would fit Tumbley to a T, this rage, this anger that he caught syphilis from the, the – and I have sworn testimony of uh, a number of people that knew Tumbley in the last 20 years of his life that he, he had a bitter hatred of widow or maid, not all women, but widow or maid, or women that would lure young men away from – or decoy, as they said – Decoy young men from uh, their, in, their intended lover, him. Not even other men, but him. So it, and then he, um, so you can see that kind of pattern with the Whitechapel murders. And so that more again would fit Tumbledee. So what I was looking in America was not necessarily an identical MO because we don't have an identical MO with the Whitechapel murders. They have what we call five of the women in Whitechapel that were murdered. They, have, they call them the canonical five because they all had their throats cut. Four of the five had their throats cut deeply right to the spine, and then three of them ha had mutilation. One did not have any mutilation, but you could see it was a surprise attack. So you could see similar patterns, but there were still upwards of 11 sex workers that were murdered. And so some experts think that there's more than just the five. Uh, the previous one, Martha Tabram, you could see that she was just stabbed 39 times and then murdered. And so it just depends on how you're looking at it. But if you're looking at this, I was looking for Ripper-like murders where the – first I started with sex workers, where a sex worker was, was murdered with a throat cut. And nobody knew this. Oh, by the way, all 76 of these murders and assaults, you can't find online. Every one 
are I, I found on let's say newspapers.com and all of these unsolved murders and attacks at least I'm giving these women a, a voice now but it's really surprising that nobody had ever seen anything like this but what happened was is August 1888 were the first of the Whitechapel murders if you consider the canonical five well Tumbledy he was in New York City up until May of 1888. And we know that because of some reports. The last time Tumbley was seen was May 1888. We know that he was in London by July 1888 because that was uh, the four young men that he had molested. The, they had that date on an indictment. So between May and June, that's when Tumbley had uh, left New York City for London. And then the White Jepple murders occurred. Unsurprisingly, May of 1888, in New York City, within blocks of where Tumbledy would be, actually at the Bowery District, where a lot of the Bowery prostitutes were, a Bowery prostitute was murdered ripper-style, her throat cut to the spine in what they call Little Italy now. And so she was murdered uh, in the basement, in the cellar, they called it. And they call it the rag picker's cellar because they had a rag picker that would work there. And the rag pickers at the time would rent their spaces out in the cellar to sex workers to do their business and even for some people to sleep the night. And this woman that lived in that lodging house swore that she saw that rag picker with the woman that was murdered, this uh, mini uh, Miskowitz. So she w was convinced that rag picker had a solid alibi. He wasn't even around. So she saw this man with the woman after midnight. And so the woman was, uh, the prostitute was found murdered in the morning. So they gave a physical description of this rag picker. Six foot tall, dark mustache. That's exactly Francis Tumbledy. How, how interesting that there's a ripper-like murder and a one of the prime ripper suspects is in the area within blocks before he left. And then it just begins after that. So I found that and I was kind of surprised that nobody else had found this murder and then even connected it. When Tumbley came back December 2nd, uh, he, there were two New York City police officers or detectives waiting for him that knew him by sight, but there was a scout and yard detective waiting for him too. So then Tumbley sneaked off to his old uh, haunt where he, the lodging house at 79 East 10th Street, which is that, by the way, 77 East 10th Street is where he had his, uh, his, his office for his Indian herb doctor business in 1881. But in 1888, he was staying at that lodging house. Well, what happened was is there were two, there were two reporters, New York City reporters from the New York Herald and also the New York World that spotted this scout and your detective outside the window. He was at the bar that was outside the window of Tumbley's space. So they tried to interview this scout and your detective and he refused to. So they actually, interviewed the bartenders because the scout and yard detective was talking to the bartenders drinking and so the bartender said yeah this guy said he came over to America to get the man, guy that did it the Whitechapel murders and he's looking up at Tumbledy's window so what happened was that was December 3rd by the December 4th papers that was in the paper well Tumbledy vanished December 5th and nobody knew where he went until a couple years ago I found out where he went he went to Waterloo, New York and I knew that because because local papers have been digitizing their newspapers, that this local Waterloo paper was did, had digitized it. It was a newspapers.com. And I knew that Tumbley, that uh, what happened was a reporter said that Tumbley's in town. And so I knew that was right because his sister lived there. And in, 18, in 1881, right, same year, Tumbley was actually in Toronto. He got arrested for sodomy with a young man, and so he had to. He sneaked off to his sisters in Waterloo, and how we know that is because his nephew Thomas Powderly lived in Waterloo and remembered that event. So he would sneak off to Waterloo. So when he was in Waterloo, the reporter reported that because what happened was a woman was accosted that night, which is a strange thing for a little Waterloo, New York. But a woman was attacked by the throat, attacked, and then, but she got away and ran away. The reporter was the one that uh, was uh, believed that it was Tumbledy. Well, Tumbledy vanished. And then what happened was a week later in Chicago, this young lady was uh, in, in downtown Chicago, and she was riding, riding the cable cars or the trains, 
and she remembered a, remembered a tall man in a thick mustache with an ulcer coat sitting across from her. So she got out. It was nighttime, and she was walking the tracks to go to the next spot, and he attacked her by the throat, dropped her onto the ground, and said, you know, and then uh, she she screamed and fought and got away, and she saw these train track workers, so she ran towards them, and the man tried to shoot at her. And that, uh, and I knew that there were a couple of times where Tumbley was arrested for carrying a revolver in America, in the United States. So, and she said there was a tall man in a thick mustache. That's, that was eight. That was December 1888. And then I get a newspaper article saying Tumbley's supposed to be in Chicago. I wasn't looking for that thing. So here it is. So then, 1886. This is one of my chapters is called "The Bookends to the Whitechapel Murders" because just before, just after the the Whitechapel Murders, we have these similar murders with this tall man in a gray ulster coat in Buffalo, New York, where I'm from. There was a case of three young ladies that were assaulted on the streets downtown um, Buffalo, next to the train station, where the this tall man in a gray ulster coat attacked them grabbed him by the throat first, and the woman started struggling to get away. He pulls out a revolver and says, I'll shoot you if you don't stop moving. And then some guy in the back said, hey, and then uh, the guy ran away. And so you can see this pattern of a tall man in a gray ulster coat, and I keep on finding this tall man in a gray ulster coat, and then sometimes a tall man in a gray ulster coat with a thick mustache throughout the 1880s and 1890s. It just keeps on going in this rash of these attacks. There was this tall man in a gray ulster coat. It was late in the 1890s that what happened was it was Connecticut, uh, and it was Danbury, Connecticut, but this young lady named Ollie Richmond. So she was walking the streets in this. Now, this is 1899, so Tumbley would have been an older man by this time. And what happened was an old man, in, a tall man in an ulster coat, I can't believe that, came up sprayed this stuff in her eyes, and he ran away. And so what happened was that was a combination of cayenne pepper and metal shavings. So she was, uh, so, so then just before that, actually in 1892, in New York City, just a block away from where Dumbley lived, in Washington Square, this, during the daytime this time, there was this tall man that would wear diamonds and walk with a, an umbrella. And we know Dumbley always walked with an umbrella. We had a couple cases of that. And he used to wear a diamond pin. And so he always kept diamonds. He had a few thousand dollars of cash in one pocket, jewelry in the other pocket. So if he ever got caught in the, the slums, because that's what everybody said, he used to hang out in the slums at night. And if he was arrested, he could see, show everybody that he was a, a, uh, a man of higher status. But this time it was during the day. And so what he would do is he would walk by. And when a woman would walk by, he would trip the woman. And the woman would fall on her face. And then he would run away. And so... They did it so often that the police uh, were informed, and they, they jokingly, because it was just uh, two years after the murders, they called him Jack the Tripper. I, it, it screams of Tumblety. And, and one of the things we know about serial killers like the Golden State Killer and, uh, and even um, BTK Killer, they'll stop, and they have this cooling off period. They, what they do is they, they're trying to stop the killings for a while for any reason. Maybe they got married or, or the police are close to them. And so they call the activities they do to try to kind of uh, substitute for murdering, they call it non-homicidal fantasy activities. So the BTK killer would kind of uh, take pictures of himself all bound up and things, weird things like this. So this kind of matches where Tumblety uh, maybe was not trying to kill, but he was still trying to uh, embarrass, abuse, and uh, women. So... But that was a few things, and a lot of a lot of things happened throughout that time. Lots of interesting things. You said that he's um, he had a penis that didn't work, right? So, how was he sexually assaulting boys, or even girls, women, and what was he doing with them? Like, how does how does that work? And how would you get syphilis? So there's there's uh, these are excellent questions. Actually, um, because of that sadosexual serial killer thing. So one thing is is he never sex uh, Jack the Ripper did not sexually assault those sex workers. That's one thing that people don't understand is that even though they were sex workers, they were not um, mutilated. Although there's one that had a couple stab wounds next to the vagina. But what happens is is what Tumbley would do was we we have a 
uh, sworn testimony of a young man. His name was Richard Norris. And in 1881, Richard Norris said that Tumblety, because he was flashing all this money, and he asked young Richard Norris if he could write some letters for him. And Richard Norris knew, he said, Richard Norris, although during the 1905 court case that he was in, uh, when he was talking under sworn testimony, he said that when he was younger, he admitted that he would make extra money being a male prostitute. So this was New Orleans. And we never knew that Tumbley was going to New Orleans, but we found out that from 1881 to 1901, Tumbley, every year during the Mardi Gras season, we would go to New Orleans and visit this Richard Norris. But Richard Norris eventually had kids, and he was working for the New Orleans Police Department. At the time he was doing this, so it was illegal what he was doing, but he was still uh, admitting. In 1881, what he did was is Tumbley uh, showed him his travel chest, and inside his travel chest were these surgical knives. And these were the, this was a travel chest that he would take with him to even London. So here is, we have a Jack the Ripper suspect carrying surgical knives with him in the 1880s. And so what Richard Norris uh, remembered what he did was one time, he first befriended him for a few weeks, but then Francis Tumbley took that one of those knives and put it to Norris's throat and sexually molested, actually just kind of uh, sodomized him. And so, and, Here's Richard Norris saying, you know, I am a male, you know, a, a sex worker, so he could have just paid me, but he wanted to force it on him. And so then he got angry and started fighting with Tumbledee, but then Tumbledee, you know, calmed down. He, he apologized and gave him a whole bunch of money. And so what he would do is he would ask, he said that he would ask to be uh, penetrated by the young man. So that's, he would act. Uh, and he said it felt like a woman to him. This is under sworn testimony. So that's what he would do is uh, the one of the uh, the where the lodging house he was at, the, the woman that ran this said that Tumbley had a line of young men every night coming into his room. He had three rooms. He'd always rent out three rooms. So but uh, so Richard Norris had said that that's what he did. He uh, he would. That's how he kind of did it. So what I did was is how did he contract the syphilis? It would have been these male prostitutes. And what I found out is when there was a, even especially back then, when there was a rash of syphilis because of sex workers, it was both male and female because there was interchanging all the time. Even every one of his young men, even uh, Henry Hall Kane, they actually got married. So they were, they were kind of, they were bisexual, even though Tumblety was not. So though the sex workers admitted that they would be going both ways. So you could see that uh, regardless of if, uh, who he had sex with, that's how he caught his syphilis, by a young man. But he blamed women for that because they were the curse of the land. Well, they were the dirty ones. <laughs> that's correct. Just ask him. And, and I yeah. actually have uh, letters, uh, Neil Story, and you know we're going to interview Neil Story next week, but he actually discovered these letters that it's uh, Francis Tumbley talking about these this this case, these things about his letters. He wrote about uh, him and uh, being so um, I would say uh, he had a complete hatred for that uh, young women. Did the police ever suspect him of anything or arrest him or? take him in for any assaults or murders or rape or any of those sort of charges? So here's the issue is that we, you know, one of the things about serial killers, let's say, for example, I like the Golden State Killer again, no one knew. It wasn't until DNA that who he was. No one knew who he was. And so like that Joseph D'Angelo, and he was a police officer. So there was no history of that. So he would have been buried this to his grave. And so we, even the some of the, I mean, for decades, we knew of, you know, these long-haul serial uh, trucker serial killers. No one knew about it. And until, again, DNA happened. So Tumbley, to me, he would have been one of those. But we do know certain times that the police knew more than they were saying. Because, for example, his Baltimore attorney was, he was in that same court case. So under sworn testimony, he told the the judge and the the, attor the attorney that are asking him questions that how he knew that Tumbley was had an intersex condition or a hermaphrodite because Tumbley passed out in his office and what he said was all the police knew it the police knew what he was doing 
they all knew that he he was uh, again. They used to call it hermaphrodite. We don't have any today. We don't have any record of the police having knowing about that. So we can see that the police knew what Tumbley was doing, like in that case. But we don't have any record. All we have is now is a sworn testimony by this attorney talking about the police. What happened though was is when Tumbley was arrested on suspicion, they uh, they interviewed the San Francisco chief of police who. We, Tumbley was an herb doctor for a while there, and they asked, they asked, did you know this Francis Tumbley, who was a, who is now, who is still incarcerated in London? And he says, yeah, but he was just a quack doctor. But then the next day, he said that the, uh, they contacted the New York City police, and uh, maybe he, you know, he has a history of some nasty things in New York City. So, so New York City, he had record of him being having this bitter hatred of, of, uh, of women, what was happening. What I have is Thomas Burns was the chief detective there, so he was a famous guy at the time. And one time they asked Thomas Burns, not about Francis Tumbley, but they asked him when the Ripper murders were occurring and Scouting Yard was not successful in finding who this killer was, they asked Thomas Burns, what if the Ripper murders were occurring in New York City? Do you think you would catch them? He said, Absolutely you know, being a, quite an egotist himself, he says, well, what I would do is I, w- I would have a lot of these uh, detectives in plain clothes or women's clothes and just filling the streets. As a matter of fact, one time there was a young man that was squirting acid on these women, and we caught him because he tried to squirt acid on one of the detectives. Surprise, surprise, I have a tall man in a gray ulcer coat. Two different occasions, one in Boston, another one in New York City, where he's squirting acid on these young women and running away. So here's Thomas Burns. This is a third case saying that this man was squirting acid. He didn't name that man, but how tumbly like was that If in this case? It would have been this San Francisco detective or chief detective saying, Something happened in New York City where Tumbley usually rested his hat. The other thing about Tumbley was that he was a transient. He always traveled by train. So he would spend a couple of days in one spot. New York City, he'd spend a couple of weeks. But uh, every February, he'd be in New Orleans. But he would travel by train. So what I did was I plotted all of the unsolved, 39 unsolved murders and the 39 assaults. And I put that on this map and plotted in Tumbley's annual train track pattern. So I figured out where he was going. And surprise, they match. And that was kind of scary. <laughs> so they're matching. What do you think was the cause of him being who he was? And, and why did he go to England, for instance? Like, what was the point there? Well, the point for England was because when he was in, uh, during the Civil War, after he got in trouble for, at the beginning, when he tried to claim that he was working for the general as a surgeon, he got he booted out of Washington, D.C., but he came back as an Indian herb doctor, and he made uh, boatloads of money. And so then he would go to St. Louis and do the same thing. And so then he would he would run around in a military outfit. But what happened was it was right when President Lincoln was murdered, and Tumbley was actually arrested on suspicion of being part of the murders because there was a claim that, you know, John Wilkes Booth and David Harold that Tumbley knew them, and eight, in the year before, in 1864, that David Harold actually worked for Tumbley in Brooklyn. Well, I know that's not true, because I know who worked for him. Actually, the photograph of that guy looked very similar to David Harold, but what happened was, is it was apparently in Washington, D.C., a young man that was working for John Wilkes Booth claimed that David Harold had worked for Tumbley in, in Brooklyn. Well, he didn't, so even though Tumbley got arrested and spent two weeks in prison, he could easily prove that he was not that person. And so when that happened, though, they actually confiscated all of his money when he was in St. Louis. And he claimed it was a million dollars of today's value that, that the Army took. So, oh, by the way, in 1863, I found out that Tumbley was in Buffalo, New York, so was John Wilkes Booth, and Tumbley loved the theater. And I have a report that Tumbley was hanging out with John Wilkes Booth. So, so add that to it. But that's a later discussion. But what happened was is by 1873, 
even though everybody thought that Tumbley went to London in 1869, and the only reason why that is is because he wanted to be associated with a person that was still alive, the Charles Dickens, the author of that, that uh, so that he met him, but he, he didn't. The first time Tumbley came back to London or England was 1873, and the reason was he claimed to be a British sub uh, subject, and he wanted the British country, the British government, to help him get his money back. And that's why he was going back and forth at first. He had relatives. He had a sister still in, in Liverpool. And so, so then he actually started the business, the quack doctor business in Liverpool. And then a young man died of uh, manslaughter there, and they blamed him, so he had to sneak out there. But So that's why he started going back and forth to London, but, uh, but uh, England. But he loved the city. And one of the things, I have countless side witness testimonies of Tumbledee each night would go into the streets at night, into the darkest areas. He'd always stay in the darkest part of the sidewalks where the streetwalkers were. But what was his point to killing? Do you think that it was, was there a rush in the killing itself? Or was he doing it for the body parts? Do you know what his thoughts were? Yeah, I, I here, by, by, based on the evidence, here's what I think. He's always had a lifetime bitter hatred blaming these women for his condition. But I don't, I don't see that is what triggered him to start killing. I think what triggered him to start killing is when he caught syphilis. So it was around 1880 we realized he knew he had syphilis because he started going to Hot Springs, Arkansas, which was the mecca for syphilis patients. And so uh, we, they interviewed his doctor in uh, Arkansas, in the, one of the, the Arkansas doctor, and they asked him, what do you think was wrong with Tumbledee? This was 1905. He said uh, he had softening of the brain. Softening of the brain was a euphemism for paresis, paralysis of the insane, or neurosyphilis. And so that right there showed that he it transgressed into neurosyphilis. So at first, I believe it was a rage killing because just, bef just before a woman was murdered, a young lady was murdered in, you know, her name was Mary Cassidy in August 1880, in Massachusetts, along the train tracks, just if so, Tumbledee got got on a train in in Manhattan, go north, and that's one of the next uh, train stops in Massachusetts. A woman, a young lady, was nearly decapitated and mutilated, and it's unsolved to this day. Well, surprise, surprise! One month before that, Tumbledee, we have record of him losing a court case to a woman. And because he blamed that that young, the woman's son, who was a teenager at the time, stole his money. And so they countersued him for molesting this young man. He lost the case. So this man, not only does he have syphilis, he's now enraged. And here is the very first unsolved murder because this woman, there was no sign of rape. There was no sign of robbery. Just a, a nearly decapitated on along the train tracks. So I think now, if you look at uh, the the female serial killer Elaine Warhouse, yes. If you notice what she did is she first killed in January, and then there was a pause, and then she started killing. I think maybe um, May, June, or something, and that was each month. So it was almost you kill. Oh boy, am I going to get in trouble? And so you kind of stop, and then you realize. I mean, a lot of these is that she had a taste for it. And so I think that st was starting to happen. But also I think, especially right around 1886, what I find out is that he had this desire, this collection. So in January of 1888, he told a, we have a record of him telling a Toronto reporter that he was constantly in dread of sudden death because of kidney and heart disease. This is Tumbledee. Well, at the end of the 1888, these, these Whitechapel victims one woman was missing the kidney, one woman uh, and kidney and a uterus, another was missing a heart, and then a uterus. So those three organs that Jack the Ripper took, the kidney, the heart, and the uterus, can be connected to Tumbledee because Tumbledee had this passion. And uterus was actually where the fluids are for life begins. And so we have Scotland Yard. There was a, a case where a, a prominent, uh, eminent engineer on the wealthy West End heard through the grapevine that this, this medical maniac, this doctor claiming to be a surgeon, a uh, prominent surgeon, was a, a medical maniac at night looking for the elixir of life. 
looking for fluids so that he would kill these women, wanted to extract the fluids from the uterus and mix them with herbs to create this elixir. Well, here's Tumbley was an inied herb doctor, and we have a rep record, rep record record of him actually having an office near Whitechapel Road. So here we have him. And so here it is. He had his best friend, his boyfriend in the 1870s was Sir Henry Hall Kane. Well, Hall Kane's best friend was Bram Stoker, the author of Dracula, who was actually the business uh, agent at the, uh, the uh, Lyceum Theater in 1888, just a week before the Ripper murders. Um, Mansfield's um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was being shown, being performed. And that's a, a person with a kind of an elixir. And then so at the Lyceum Theater, that the, uh, there was a new order of uh, the workers started an order called the Order of the Golden Dawn. And their primary goal was to look for the Philosopher's Stone or the Elixir of Life. And so it's all these connections with this elixir. And here's Dumbledy being kind of right in the middle of that. So not, so then, in, in 1900, his Philadelphia attorney said that Tumbley would be drinking this flask made of brown fluid all the time. <laughs> so, like, like an elixir. At beginning, in the early 1880s, although he ha always had this passion for the organs because it, it showed, if you had these organs, it showed that you were a true surgeon, that here's maybe, you know, if, if indeed that he was the quack doctor that um, mutilated or dismembered this woman, Ella Clark, in 1881, that that right there, and her organs were missing, maybe he was trying to you know, do this at the time. But by 1886, his brain was going. Now, here's a man that claimed he could cure all disease. Now, he has a disease, and he couldn't cure himself. And so, clearly, I would see him looking for it. He was, he was always going to hot springs and all these Saratoga springs, always these watering holes, because that was, uh, that actually, in, in what they found out was that hot springs do actually improve, if you have syphilis, it kind of a, elongates your health, your, your lifespan a bit. So it was pretty, pretty much helping him out. So here is a man claiming that there's, even in his autobiography, he claimed that there was this elixir of health out there that no one's found yet that can cure all things. And then, that's in his autobiography. And then in 1893 autobiography, he finally admits there's no such thing as an elixir of life or what he called a, uh, uh, some, I forgot, an eternal something. But it was an elixir. He, he admitted that. But before that, he never did. So here it is, Tumblety, right around that time that he knew he had syphilis, these women uh, that in London were being murdered. And it was almost there was another agenda, the agenda was to collect organs. And so we here's a man that had a history of collecting organs, had a history of the, the especially the kidney, the heart, and the uterus. And it, and it actually continues because Annie Chapman, she had her wedding ring and keeper ring stolen, two cheap brass rings. And then when Tumbley died in 1903, on his personal possessions was his usual uh, diamonds and gold, and there were two cheap brass rings. The railway... Ripper. So what the railway murders, there was no point to their murders. Like, like you're, and I'm saying reason wise, there was no, they weren't raped and they weren't robbed and stuff. So did you ever have an idea of why these people were killed? Well, they have all the hallmarks of rage killing. They, you know, attack and mutilate the face or mutilate the neck. Well, for example, in St. Louis, there was actually a sex worker that was attacked, so she was walking, and this tall man, tall man in a gray ulcer coat, comes and cuts her her abdomen, and her kind of parts come out, and she starts dying, and so she's saying, this man attacked me, so they arrested a man, her ex-boyfriend, who they thought was, uh, these onlookers thought it was him, and surprisingly, he was a, uh, a tall man that had a gray jacket, and the, but he had a solid alibi, and so the way she said stuff realized that she didn't know her attacker, but she died. So, so it was this just these. To me, it was just attack. Uh, there were a couple cases where we have again tall man in a gray ulster coat. Uh, how many times that in uh, across the river there was a rash of attacks by a tall man in a gray ulster coat that were 
attacking women that were women were getting away, but there was one woman that didn't. And what happened was is she got clobbered over the head with a, a, a coupling, a, and a metal thing. And they found her in a, a dark, a dark uh, empty lot. And so what happened was the next day, the, the, a minister came to the police and said, you need to talk to this young man. Well, what happened was this young man had actually was actually in the morning of the murders. This was Patterson, New Jersey. But in the morning of the murders, he was actually in Yonkers, New York. And he was trying to get, you know, his, his ex, his girlfriend, ex-fiance was getting married. And so he, so he wanted to try it one more time that didn't work. So he was all bummed. So he got on, uh, he was waiting for the train, eight in the morning. He started drinking. And so he got on the train. He's traveling through Manhattan. And he, he noticed this tall man with a mustache and a gray ulster coat was following him. And by the time he stopped at a bar, he was, he thinks the guy slipped him a Mickey because he really got passed out. But he does remember him traveling on the ferry across the river to Patterson. And then what he remembered, and this is what he reported, that this tall man followed him outside uh, when he l walked off the train, grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and dragged him on the streets that night, just laid him against to a tree. Then he, he said that the man went up to this woman, knocked her out with something he had in his hand, and dr started dragging her into an empty lot. So that's when he ran away. So the police didn't believe him because they said he was drunk and that he could not have made it from Yonkers to Patterson in that amount of time. So I figured, I tried to uh, see that, and he had ample amount of time, because they saw, thought that he was at that bar in Yonkers in the afternoon. But what I showed, that he was in that bar at 8 in the morning. <laughs> he was there early. So he had ample time to be there. So here is a case where it was, it, to me, especially if, you know, if it was Tumblety, it would be, uh, rage killing, you know, to uh, in the case that we have that. Well, interesting case, lots of research. Now, the book is out now, of course, and it's called Dr. Francis Tumblety and the Railway Ripper. Now, the writer's been our guest, Mr. Michael Al Molly. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Al, and we'll see you next week when we interview Neil Story. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, Hosts or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is here a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.